chapter 6. We jumped around a lot last week because we were doing the whole 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles thing. And we're going to do a whole lot of that 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles thing again this week. And I was chuckling to myself because I was like, you know, if I want to preach through the whole Old Testament, as long as I keep bumping over here to 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, then whenever we get to 1 and 2 Chronicles, I won't have to preach through it because we'll already cover it. And that's actually true because it is so it is so much to repeat. It's not quite like the Gospels where they repeat and they give different details. It is like that. Um, but... There's enough of it that some parts of it are almost word for word. Some of it almost match Isaiah also, which is kind of a wild thing. But we won't talk about that today. So, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we've been talking about how David's kingdom has been expanding and growing. How he took the city that nobody could take, and now that's Jerusalem. He renamed it, and... Now it's time, hmm, the Ark of the Covenant has been sitting in this tent over at this place, and we really want the Ark of the Covenant here in Jerusalem, right? The king is in Jerusalem. The, the, um, it's this impenetrable city. The army can guard it, but it almost guards itself because it's such, in such an awesome spot. But So now we're going to gather even the Ark of the Covenant is going to be there. So 2 Samuel 6 starts, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now these aren't just all the men of Israel. These are the fighters, the warriors. These are civic leaders. These are um, heads of big families, guys with a whole bunch of great grandkids, those kinds of people, important people. Not just all the men come out, but let's get some real dignitaries here. David goes out in 1 Chronicles 15. It gives a list of a bunch of these people, which we're not going to read. But it's interesting if you want to do a Bible study on where all these families are and who all is there and what names are mentioned, where else they were mentioned. It's kind of fun. So they get them all. David arose. He goes with all the people that are with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Okay, hold on. Because <laughs> now we're getting really... You know how um, someday, sometimes in Evansville you can get the mayor to declare a day for you? And sometimes even the mayor will show up to read the declaration. Like this happened in our neighborhood. There's this lady. She's the head of the neighborhood association for like 20 years and she did all this awesome stuff. And... Um, I think she died and it was her husband's birthday or something. And the mayor came and they dedicated a, a stone with a plaque. And the mayor read, whereas on the 23rd day of March of the year of our Lord, 1900, and like big flowery talk, right? As soon as they say, whereas, you know, you're in for it. Well, this language here. You're starting to get a hint. This isn't just the Ark. This isn't even the Ark of the Covenant. This is 
the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Like if you forgot what this is, this is the ark of God's covenant with his people on which the top are there are two angels and God instructed Moses to create this lid and that lid is going to be the mercy seat and that is where God is going to dwell among his people and where you will be able to come and meet with him once a year when you're covered in blood and you've made all these sacrifices. Here's all the rules. This is it. So they're going to move it. Verse 3, they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. So they got a new cart for the ark of the covenant of the Lord who sits enthroned between the cherubim. This cart has never been used to haul anything stupid like chickens. This cart has never been dirtied or soiled by any other cows or any other livestock. It's brand new. It's beautiful. It's almost like they said, this is just the most important thing. We want to move it with all of the care and the beauty and the honor that we possibly can. Hmm, okay, admirable. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, that's where it was. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. So this guy's in front of it, and he's, he's probably not riding on the cart. He's probably, there's probably some oxen, and they're towing it. And he's in front of them, kind of leading them along with a, with a, a rope or you know, piece of leather or something. And then they are towing the ark. Shiny new wood, beautiful. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Okay, so your translation probably mentions other instruments. Or it might even mention the wood. There's some translations that say what kind of wood they were made out of. So this is where things start to get funny. In different languages, they call different vegetables and different animals different things, right? Like we lived in Central Asia and we had a cucumber, but the cucumbers tasted so different because they were grown in like gardens. It was like, had so much flavor and it wasn't sucked out by the grocery store. And that thing was called a bodrin. And it was easy because a cucumber over there tasted different and we could say it was bodrine because it tasted different and then over here it's a cucumber so we had different words for the same thing right well the problem with bible translation into the present time is when they say tambourine we might think of the really loud rackety plastic thing with all the metal jingle things on it that are really loud but you know how some tambourines have that skin on them that's like a drum? They had tighter skin, and it was animal skin on it, and it was much more like a drum than, than that. We read lyre, and you think of this harp that's like this beautiful, you know, whatever thing, and it looks real ornate. 
It's, it's a string instrument, yes, but it had like a, a sound hole, more like a guitar. It was more like a guitar than a harp. Does that make any sense? So it's louder. And, and it's, they're just, the whole point is they're playing all kinds of music. They are just really jamming and celebrating. And uh, songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanet cymbals. It's, y'all, get all of your instruments. Go get your stuff. I know you haven't blown on that thing since marching band in high school, but get it out of the attic and come on. We're playing because the Ark of the Covenant is coming to Jerusalem. Yes, all of the house of Israel. They come along to the threshing floor of Nakan, and Uzzah puts his hand out to the Ark of God to take hold of it because the oxen stumbled. So Ohio maybe isn't doing his job or whatever. He's not looking at the Ark, probably. He's probably looking at where he's going, right? And he's leading these oxen, and the oxen stumble. And this shiny, beautiful, never-been-used-before cart that they made rocks. And Uzzah puts his hand out of the ark of God, takes hold of it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. What? And he died there because of the ark of God. David... I mean, imagine, they're all having their party, the instruments are going, the thing rocks, the dude touches it, falls over dead. David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, because Perez Uzzah means break out against Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Oh my gosh, if anybody touches this thing, they drop over dead. How can I have this in my house? How can I take this? How are we going to take this any further? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So they're bringing this thing. They're rolling it along. And all that happens. All right. Hold on. We got to read some more. <laughs> if you flip over to 1 Chronicles 15. Again, it gives the whole list. And it gives this one little hint in verse 12. When David tries to do this again. Verse 12, you're the heads of the father's households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So David was mad that God did this. He was mad that God struck Uzzah. But then, somewhere in there, and it doesn't mention where, but somewhere in there, he looked it up. And way back in Numbers 4, when the ark was built, God said, you put rings on the side of it, you put poles through these rings. 
Never take these poles out of the rings. And the ark should never, ever be carried on a cart. It should never be carried on a cart. It should never be hauled by an animal. Only men. And only men, you ready? Not just any men. You got the sons of Aaron. And the sons of Aaron that are of this tribe need to go into the Ark of the Covenant and cover it with blue cloth and cover everything, cover everything up, put, put blue cloth, cloth over all of it. And then once it's all covered with blue cloth, those guys come out and the Kohathites, who are another descendant of Aaron, another whole family group, basically a set of cousins that are cousins to the other guys that are the sons of Aaron that did the blue. The Kohathites go in and they can touch it. They can't look at it. Don't look under that blue. Don't peek. But once everything's covered with blue, the Kohathites come in and pick it up and only the Kohathites can carry it. No animals. Wow. So what I love to do is when I'm reading the Bible and I find things that seem confusing or contradictory. I, I don't blow it off as dumb. I don't blow it off as, oh, somebody got something wrong. Because I figured there's a whole lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than me that carried this thing all the way to the modern time that we're in. <laughs> and maybe there's some things I can figure out. So God was angry with Uzzah and struck him dead. Hmm. But, you know, God is loving and kind. He's compassionate, merciful, forgiving for generations, the sins of the fathers, right? But all Uzzah did was touch it and he died. Well, some of this you can look at what's going on inside these guys. Where did they get the idea that the Ark of the Covenant traveled on a cart. Where did they learn that from? The Philistines. The uncircumcised, blankety-blank, stinking Philistines. And they said, this is the God of heaven, the Ark of the Covenant of God who dwells before the cherubim. And we're going to worship Him. Hmm, how should we worship Him? Should we look in the Bible and see? Should we look at what the letter of Moses was? Or should we just look at the Philistines and do what the Philistines did? I think we'll do what the Philistines did. Here we are, church. It's 2023. Who are we looking to to solve our problems? Are we looking to the way the world solves their problems? We shouldn't be. But all kinds of people are. All kinds of people are solving their problems with, I'm not even going to list it. All the ways that people solve their problems are the world's ways. It's just like these guys are doing. But here's God who's God of mercy. Because you know what should have happened? God should have killed all of them. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but they're not following the law at all. A single nail shouldn't have gone into that wood. Ohio didn't deserve to take one step in front of that Ark of the Covenant pulling oxen. He could have been struck dead. 
David and all the people with all their instruments playing and making a ruckus and celebrating. God showed mercy to all of them. There was something in Uzzah that the mercy wasn't there. There was just it was too much. And it might have been him just irreverently putting his hand on it. It might have been just not having fear of the Lord. Right. Whatever it was. God wanted his presence, the Ark of the Covenant of God, who's enthroned on the cherubim. This is his presence on earth. This is the embodiment of God with man. And he wants it carried by men, not animals, not critters. Let's talk about God's mercy also. Obed-Edom. This guy. Who is he? He's a Gittite. What in the world does that mean? It's kind of like Hoosier. Like if you just heard the word Hoosier, you would have no idea what that means. People in South Dakota, you tell them you're a Hoosier, they're like, what is that? You're like, that's what we call people from Indiana. Oh, okay, you're from Indiana. Gittites were people from Gath. And I hope from your Bible trivia, trivia, you know another person, another famous Bible character from Gath. It's part of David's story. Had a had a uh, a very significant role. His head, Goliath. Goliath was from Gath. And so here's Obed Edom. Now remember. All the interactions that David has had with Gath since Goliath. He killed Goliath when he was a kid, chopped his head off with Goliath's sword, walked around. Remember Abner went and got David, brought David to Saul, said, this is the guy. He's like, dude, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your family. You did it. Goliath was from Gath. Then later, years later, David shows up in Gath with all of his men to the king of Gath. And he says, we want to work for you. And oh, by the way, I carry Goliath's sword. I want to take his job. I'd like to fill. I hear you have an opening and I would like to fill it. Because <laughs> I killed the guy. Remember, David rose to the level among the Philistines of being the bodyguard for their king. Gath, you guys, heartland of the Philistines. When David left the Philistines and came back to Hebron, 600 men from Gath followed him. Wait a minute. What? Yes. So you've got this guy chosen by God, one of God's chosen people, anointed by God. He goes into the land of the Philistines which is dangerous and deadly and treacherous, and he is not welcome there. And 600 men say, we want to follow you. Well, they're not going to be able to follow him if they worship their gods. They're going to have to full scale, leave behind Dagon, leave behind the gods of the Philistines, and worship Yahweh. And so 600 men leave Gath, leave the land of the Philistines and become 
part of Israel. They probably also got circumcised and became full-on Jewish people, even though they were descendants along of, of Gentiles, even though they were Gentile people. And so you've got this guy, Obed-Edom, who has been a Gentile, cursed by God, right? Philistines. Ugh. And he turns to the living God, comes to live in Israel to serve David. And the next thing you know, the Ark of the Covenant of the God of Israel, who dwells between the cherubim, is at his house. The embodiment of God's presence on earth is here at the home of this Philistine. And so he keeps it. I'm going to fast forward really far. Obed-Edom, it's really fun if you look on the internet for Obed-Edom in the Bible and you see the other places that he pops up. This dude, he got blessed for three months while the Ark of the Covenant was at his house. Then, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't at his house anymore. I won't tell you where it goes, not to spoil anything. You know where it goes. But when it left, Obed-Edom got a job. He did so good taking care of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim at his house that he got hired to take care of it at the temple. Generations later, when Babylon comes and destroys the temple and wipes everybody out and hauls everything off, it, there's this mention, and it says, they even came and emptied the treasure room of the treasure that was taken care of by the descendants of Obed-Edom. So the dude that was a Philistine, Gentile, far from God, came all the way in to take care of the Ark of the Covenant, to work in the temple, and to be in charge of a treasury of treasures of gold that were offered as offerings to God. Isn't that awesome? None of us should ever feel like we are too far away from God. No, we could, there's not a person we see on the street, not a person we read about on the news that is too far away from God's mercy and God bringing them in and maybe even generations later having them right there taking care of God's gold. <laughs> all right. So that all happens. Obed-Edom is blessed. His whole household is blessed. All of his kids got scholarships. All of his grandkids were super geniuses with patents and inventions. No, I'm making all that up. The whole household was blessed. And King David gets word of it. It's been three months, you guys. So three months have gone by. And King David hears, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So, like I said, I like to reconcile different things. In Ephesians, it says, we're saved by faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And sometimes people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And that's not biblical and that's not right. There's something going on here. And it doesn't take long to just think it through and you kind of get it. If you had, let's just say, you had in your living room 
The presence of the living God on earth embodied. There he is in this big old gold box. And the tomb of Uzzah is right up the road for somebody that did not reverence and fear and honor and have faith in God. It might change the way you act at your house. (laughs) Just that revelation. It works... It works with us, right? You go to some retreat, you have some amazing prayer time, and for the next day or so, you are just like holy, righteous. You just want to touch everybody and heal every blind person at Walmart, and just the power of God is there, and it's a big deal, right? I think that's kind of like what it was. I mean, we had a sheep for four days, and our whole world revolved around that sheep, and everything we thought about was the sheep. Can you imagine if the Ark of the Covenant was in your living room? Like you go to put down your coffee and you're like, oh, not there. It's the Ark of the Covenant of the living God. Well, you guys, this is happening to us all the time. The presence of the living God on earth is now his Holy Spirit. And he has poured his Holy Spirit into us. And so we are walking around our houses with the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts, of the Lord who sits between the cherubim, is sitting in us. He's right here. And so it's, I don't say this as a, uh, the Holy Spirit is here in your house, so you better act right. Right? But the spirit of the living God is here. The, the, the dwelling place of God on earth, the presence of him on earth is here. And so out of that realization, we get a little hint on one way to act. So it was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom, all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Edom, Obed-Edom, to the city of David with rejoicing. It doesn't say all the other details that you get in First Chronicles, right? He told those Levites, you better purify yourselves. You better cleanse yourselves. I don't want anybody dying. Because I got mad last time that happened. You don't want the king to be mad. We are going to party. You guys, you've had three months to practice on your lyre and your harp and your tambourines. We are going to just celebrate. The priest... First Chronicles, the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. The Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles. Yeah. As Moses had commanded, according to the word of God. Yes. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps, lyres, cymbals, raise the sounds of joy. They never did this, but um, I worked at different churches where we'd get a note on Monday that the, the music was too loud. And I always wanted them to reply with this verse. You see how that went over. I don't think it would be very kind, but they never did it. Then in 1 Chronicles 15, you get this big old list of names. And who played the harps and who played the cymbals and who played the lyre? And Obed-Edom is there. And they're leading with liars according to the Sheminath and Chenani and the... Li- I mean, it just goes on and on. You get a whole... It's like a program 
of who all is playing music. And the very last line of all that, they're going to blow trumpets before the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and Jehiah were to be gatekeepers for the ark. So if we were here and it's 1025 and seven guys come walking in in suits and sunglasses and they're looking all around and we're like, who are you guys? We're like, we're the advanced team for uh, the, the king of England. And he was in the area and he wants to go to church. And we just thought this would be a low key place. The king could just slip in, enjoy church on Sunday and slip out. No big deal. What, what would we do? We would die. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you that Mike Miller would not let the king of England touch that door. Right? That door would be open. Rick would run out and move his Jeep across the parking lot so the king could park closer. We would all be, we'd be looking for every last little communion cup that's straggling or whatever. That's what they're doing. They are so excited. They are like, look, we are going to do it right this time. We read the book of Moses. We are going to be real Jewish people. We're going to follow the Torah. We're going to carry it with poles. All you Levites are going to consecrate yourselves. You guys, the Ark of the Covenant of the living God who dwells between the cherubim is coming to Jerusalem. Yeah! Excitement! And they just start blowing the horns and they just start playing the music. And there's all this rejoicing. When those that bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. You guys, it's so crazy. It is such a party. These guys take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. This far, like they make it that far. David says, whoa, I want to sacrifice an ox. They bring out an ox and he sacrifices an ox to the Lord. And that is like, I just want to give $10,000 to somebody right now. Like he is just offering, giving, generous, sacrificing an ox and a fattened animal. Give me that goat. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sounding of the horn. It's berserk. It's like, I don't know, have you guys ever been to like when, um, when a city basketball team wins state and they come home or the, the marching band wins state? And the car, it's like 2 a.m. and they're all coming back from Indy. And cars are just honking their horns and the parking lot's full of people and everybody's losing their mind. Remember when Lily King won the gold medal in the Olympics and she came to town and like fire trucks were blowing water out of there. I mean, it was just crazy. That's what they're doing. There's some commentators that when it says after, every, after six steps, David sacrificed a bull. Some interpret that, that he did it every six steps. From the home of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem was just cow, cow, ox, ox, fattened. 
And there, there will be something to support that here in a minute. So it's not that crazy. He's wearing a linen ephod. What's the big deal about that? Okay, there's a couple theories here. So, um, modesty and the way people cover themselves has changed over the years. And probably the average person in this room has like three layers of clothing on, right? Two or three layers of clothes on. That wasn't always the case. A lot of times clothing was just very functional. It was to keep the sun off of you. It was to keep uh, bushes and, and tree branches from scraping you. But otherwise, if it, if it was in the way, you didn't do it. You didn't have it on. Uh, fishermen are a big example of this. I mean, it was like a thousand years later. But, you know, Peter, when he goes out to walk on the water, how he puts his robe on him and steps out into the water because a lot of times you would just do all your fishing stuff almost naked. Like, like people would do it in, in uh, their swimming suits today, right? You wouldn't wear a dress shirt if you're going to be pulling nets in off the side of the boat. So when people did dancing, it was very acrobatic and it was very uh, physical, moving around. And you just didn't wear robes and all that stuff when you did that. The other thing is that usually the number one set of dancers that you would have would be a whole bunch of women. And so you'd have all these dancing women and doing acrobatics. And it's almost like, um, like nowadays we have uh, cheerleaders, like cheerleaders for professional football teams. And they're kind of there. But then you've got like two guys and the guys are there and they're the muscle. And the guys are there to throw those ladies up in the air and twisting all that. So that was a lot what dancing was like around this time. Never, ever, anywhere else in ancient literature does it ever, you guys, never does a king dance. Dancing is something that a king sits and watches and enjoys. Dancing is something that the people do, not kings. So this is the only instance, this is across, this is across Asian culture, this is across African culture. The only instance of an ancient king dancing is right here. Because David was submitting to an even more powerful, more honorable, more worthy one. Who is the God of Israel who sits between the cherubim. Right? And so David, an ephod is kind of like, um, we don't use that word just because we don't use that kind of clothing anymore. It's kind of like an apron. It's kind of like a... Um, a uh, like an apron that would have sleeves, not have sleeves, but it would have something over your shoulder and then it would cover you like here and down the back where you're going to be working on stuff. Kind of, kind of like an apron. It would serve the purpose of an apron nowadays. The high priest has an ephod. And again, ephod is just the shape of the garment, right? He has this ephod that would have all these jewels on it and it would be very ornamental and beautiful. Beautiful. 
There were other priests that would just have a plain linen ephod. And it was a plain linen ephod because it's going to get blood on it. It's going to get dirty while you're doing all those sacrifices. Remember we talked about Passover and all that? How it was just like the Levites were like butchers. They just cut up animals, cut up animals, worship God, cut up animals all day long. Probably big buff strong dudes with aprons. And so David doesn't dress like a king. He dressed like somebody that's going to be sacrificing. He's dressed like somebody that's going to be offering things to God. And he knows he's not a priest, but he dresses up like I am offering things to God and I want to participate with all these Levites that are banging cymbals and tambourines and playing horns and playing their guitars and I'm going to dance and I'm going to do the acrobatic dance because I'm a guy and I'm a stud and I'm strong and I'm going to throw these servant girls all around the air and you know just he's not throwing women around but I'm just trying to give you the idea of culturally how this is today so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn David is right there in it partying with everybody else celebrating you probably if you didn't know David he probably looked the same as the other Levites that are blowing their horns because they would have linen ephods on too and they would be dancing and getting crazy also. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord. They set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Burnt offerings are usually going to be sin offerings. So he's offering things. Lord, forgive my sin. Forgive these people's sin. Forgive that guy's sin. And then peace offerings are, Lord, I'm so glad to be here. I want to have fellowship with you. This is how we do it. When David had finished offering burnt offerings, peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each and every one. So this is where we get back to slaughtering an ox every six feet, right? Every six steps. If he slaughtered an ox every six steps, he probably is not carrying all of that with him. They don't have refrigerators. They're not going to turn it all into beef jerky. So the whole path, he is, he is like stopping to grill a whole bunch of cheeseburgers. And at some point, people are going to be like, good grief. What is he going to do with all those cheeseburgers? And it's, this is how big of a party this is. I'm giving every one of you steak and raisins. Steak and raisins for everybody. All the people departed, each to his own house. David goes back to bless his household. It says that. David returned to bless his household. Everything he has been doing so far has been for God. He heard that the household of Obed-Edom was blessed because the Ark of the Covenant was there. But gosh, he wants the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. And it's all about worshiping God and praising God and 
celebrating God's presence with his people. And so he goes home to his household and he's got his steak under one arm and he's got his raisin cakes under the other. And he's probably just a worn out, sweaty mess because he's been partying so hard all day, dancing wildly. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. This is his greeting on the front porch. What a disgrace you are. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me. Oh, 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 you guys. Wait, we got to talk about who Michael is before we get to what he says. Michael was a daughter of Saul, the king of Israel. And she had an eye for David and David had an eye for her. And Saul heard about it. And he said, I'm not going to marry my daughter to anybody unless they bring me a pile of a hundred Philistine foreskins. And David said, I want to marry her. I'll show him how much I want to marry her. So he goes out and he kills and mutilates 200 Philistines. And he brings all that back and he says, I want to marry your daughter. This is a problem for Saul because Saul hates David. And he knew that that would make David go get it. And he wanted David to get killed in doing it. But now David, who he doesn't like, has claim to his daughter. And if he has claim to the daughter, then David and Michael can have. It's weird saying Michael, it's a girl, but we'll get there. If they have a son, then that son is an heir to the throne of Israel. And Saul hates David. So Saul doesn't want David to have anything to do with the throne of Israel. So he doesn't want him to marry Michael. But he has to keep his word. And so now David could have a son who would be king of Israel by lineage. But then Michael or David goes on the run. Saul says, hey, uh, let's give Michael to this other guy. She can be married to him. So she goes off and gets married to him. Time passes. David comes back. Abner says, I want to make you the king of Israel. Right? You remember this? David says, I will only become king. I will not speak to you again unless you bring to me my wife, Michael, son or daughter of Saul. And so now the lineage is possible again. Right? The lineage of David could be the father of of a person who is on the throne of Israel can happen with Michael. So Michael comes back. She's married to David. This happens. David is told you're going to be the king of Israel. He's anointed. Years go by. He thinks Saul is surely going to kill me. I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. He has this chance to become king by marrying Michael, Saul's daughter. That falls apart. He comes back. He's the king of Hebron. He reigns there for seven years. He takes over the house of Saul. Yes, I am now king of Israel. He takes the impenetrable city, Jerusalem. You guys, do you think he needs Michael to have a child? 
to have claim to the throne anymore? He doesn't. By all circumstances, God has shown David, you are the king of Israel. It's not through Saul. It's by my grace, but by my mercy, by my calling on your life. And so Michael, she doesn't get that. She should know that. David says to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house. I was worshiping God. I was before God who chose me to be king, not your dad. These are tough words. God chose me over your whole household, all your brothers and sisters, all your cousins. God chose me over all of them. And so basically David is saying, I am choosing God over you. If, if you're going to make this be a choice, it was before the Lord. I was worshiping God. He has appointed me prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. I love it that he says prince, because who's the king? God's the king. David himself even refers to himself as a prince. He says, I will celebrate the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet even more contemptible than this. I will look even stupider. You think I look stupid today? I love God so much. I will look even more stupid. You just wait. God is so awesome. I did not do this for you. He says, I will be abased in your eyes. I will look even stupider to you. If you think low of me now, the day that we brought the Ark of the Covenant of God who dwells between the cherubim, if you think low of me now today after this, you just wait. You're going to think even lower of me. And this is also David realizing that the daughter of Saul wants him to be king like her dad was king. And he's not going to be a king like Saul was king. By the females, servants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. He gives a little, a little lesson here, a little correction. All those women that looked at me, they're going to honor me. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And so that might mean she didn't get to stay in the house anymore, right? You got to remember, this is the Bible we're talking about. When they say something like that, remember how they said Eli was fat? It wasn't a commentary on how many cheeseburgers he had. It was a commentary on how unrighteous he was living because he was stealing the fat from God. Right? This same book says, Adam and Eve are cursed. Eve, you will be saved through childbearing. Yes, that's totally interpreted as she's going to have a kid who's 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 going to have Jesus and Jesus is going to come. There's other places. We look at Jacob and Rachel and Leah and all that mess that blessing is equated with having a whole bunch of kids. And this Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death it's also a subtle way of saying she was cursed. It's a way of saying she, she doesn't get to go streets of gold. She died like Uzzah touching the side of the 
Ark of the Covenant, she did not respect God or revere God. Isn't that wild? (laughs) All of this shows off how God wants to show up. And it's all getting ready. So what are we doing? We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. What are we doing? We're learning about the son of David, right? So God had mercy on a whole bunch of people in this chapter. And the people that he had mercy on the most were the people that were really trying to seek him and revere him. And the people that scoffed at him, the, th- the people that thought, you know, God just... God might not be able to do this. I need to help him out a little bit. Right? Oh, you're acting foolish. You shouldn't act foolish in front of the Lord. You need to act a certain way. Mm, Nope. Out. It's really wild. And remember, you got to reconcile it with all of Scripture, right? There are places where it says the, the woman that didn't have any children is more blessed than the people that had a whole lot of other children. And that's in the context of this lady who's generous and merciful and cares for all kinds of other people. That it doesn't even matter that she didn't have any kids because of all the people that she cared for and all the ways that the Lord showed through her. In this, with Michael, it's she was just worried about how her husband, how she looked ultimately, right? You're going to make it look like I'm married to a fool the way you're dancing out there. All my servant girls are going to think less of me. Let's focus on the Lord. So, Easter comes. The embodiment of God among his people is Jesus. The embodiment, the presence of God among his people is carried by men, namely Jesus. And then he pours his spirit out on us. And we become the dwelling place of God. The Lord of hosts who sits between the cherubim. Here he is. Next week, you guys, is Palm Sunday. So all this party that we talked about, we'll talk about again as we get into what happens once you have the king in his place, you have his whole household blessed, and you have the Ark of the Covenant in its place too. So let's pray. Lord, you are holy and awesome and fabulous. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you show us so much mercy and you care for us. We thank you, Lord, that any curse that has ever been put on us, whether we brought the curse on ourselves or whether somebody else did it, that you, Jesus, take away that curse and you help us to walk in righteousness and holiness and peace and fellowship with you. We thank you so much, Lord, that we are free from the law And that we can worship you straight from our heart with gratitude. And that we don't have to make sure we don't do it wrong and make mistakes. We thank you, Lord. And we do welcome you. Amen. All right.